Hello, and welcome to the Writers Guild Foundation podcast. I'm Enid Portuguez, Communications Director for the Foundation. The event recording we have for you today is from February 23rd. It was a master class with writer Evan Doherty, who's been on a roll writing some box office hits such as Snow White and the Huntsman, Divergent, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Next up, Evan's taking on the Tomb Raider franchise as the screenwriter for the upcoming reboot due out in theaters next year. At this event, the NYU alumnus talks to an audience filled with quite a few NYU students here in L.A. about his early struggles as a writer living in his parents' basement, to how he moved out west to develop his craft and process, and some sage advice about the business that he'd give to students and aspiring screenwriters. For anyone in school or at the beginning of their career in former TV, it's always nice and comforting to hear that someone who was once in their same shoes, who had been living on an air mattress in Koreatown, can go on to become a successful screenwriter. So get inspired and then get writing. As always, check out WGFoundation.org for news of our upcoming events and programs. But first, enjoy this masterclass with Evan Doherty. Hi everyone! Uh, thank you so much. This is uh, this is a pretty exciting opportunity, I think, for all of us here. Uh, had a chance to talk to Evan outside, and and he's a delight. Uh, he's going to continue to be a delight uh, throughout all of this. He's uh, also an NYU graduate. I understand that there's a couple of NYU alumni in here. Uh, you're all very handsome and wonderful, and it's it's great to see each and every one of you. But uh, uh, enough about me. Let's let's bring Evan out. He's uh, you know him from Snow White and the Huntsman. He's written uh, Ninja Turtles, all that stuff. We'll talk about it all. Come on out. Come on. Come on out. Um, so hello, is this on? Can you guys hear me? I, I, yeah, yeah. You sound wonderful. Awesome. Um, so uh, you know, one of the things that that a lot of folks might know about you. Uh, is sort of the story involved with, uh, you know, your first big uh, script, Snow White and the Huntsman, which was, uh, it started its life as uh, an assignment uh, at NYU. You wrote it in your in your dorm, at the Weinstein dorm. Uh, and it seems like a good as place as any to just sort of start there. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I did. It was sort of, not exactly for an assignment, but kind of like mm-hmm. loosely inspired by an assignment. I think the year before, first of all, like how many... How many NYU people are here? Let's do a classic hand raise. Okay, cool. So uh, there was a professor there named Mo Ogrodnik, and I don't know if anyone had her. I think she works in uh, Abu Dhabi now. But So she had a, I think it's probably a pretty traditional, like, beginner's screenwriting assignment, which is just, like, take an old fairy tale or folk tale and, like, update it. And what I actually did for that class was I took, like, an old Thor uh, myth, from Norse mythology, and I updated it. And Thor became like an Interpol agent. It was kind of like a born thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, I bet it was literally like the next semester that I was that that the idea for Snow White came. So I think it was there was something something about that idea of taking the old stories and reinventing them kind of came from that. And I wrote it in Third North. Okay, dorm. all right, not Weinstein. My, my never, never. It was never to, in Weinstein, uh, but. To anyway. the fine dorm of Third North. Yeah, Third North is a good one. And, and all of that as well. Yes. Um, and so you graduated in 2004. Did you move out here to Los Angeles right away or? Um, gosh. No, I spent uh, like probably a year or more uh, kind of doing post on the the big 
giant advanced production movie that I made when I was a senior, mm-hmm. which was super bloated and spent way too much money on it. And it was not as good, nearly as good as I thought it was at the time we were, mm-hmm. when we were making mm-hmm. it. But um, it took me a long time to do the post on that. And then we sent it out to festivals. And this was in the days where you had to, you guys probably know better than I, I don't know if they have digital submissions for festivals now but we had to like i had to burn copies of dvds for every festival on like without a box i don't even know if that exists anymore mm-hmm. but yes um so we sent out just <clears throat> hundreds of dvds it's just, like managed you know it got into festivals so i had to like like you know deal with a f- i went to some festivals and da, da, da. so i did that all from like my parents house in texas for a couple years while i was like editing um because i had my whole like final cut pro rig like editing other people's movies and stuff so so yeah i uh i, I did that for a couple of years i tried people, some people if you've listened to me on other podcasts i may have heard this story but i tried to come out here once i want to say like oh seven a few years after graduating didn't even stay a year it was so horrible and so unpleasant and i i hit i hit so many brick walls and it was it was bad <clears throat> but um then I came back and yeah, I just, I did the thing, which I think happens to a lot of people where I said like, I'm not coming back until <clears throat> someone asks me to come back or someone pays me to do a job that I have to be here for. And, um, and, and that, uh, that happened, you know, kind of a couple years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and was this, was this after you had written uh, another script called Shrapnel or? Yeah, that was the script that, that I, yeah, that was the script that I, cause I wrote a few scripts when I was in at NYU, including Snow White. And all the things I'd written are things that actually, I, I things that are in the genre and scale of things that I, I have written over the last few years. So like big, kind of crazy, tentpole kind of movies. And like, I was trying to show them to people. For a time after I got out of NYU, I was hip-pocketed by a different manager based on Snow White. I don't know if you guys know what hip-pocketing is. It's like where you're kind of, semi signed by a manager or an agent so um yeah so where was i was i talking about snow i was just sort of talking about the place of yes that's right so i was writing these huge hollywood kind of big temple movies Mm -hmm. and no one was really paying attention to them and i couldn't get any traction so i did the thing where i said i'm not gonna go back until someone asked me to and again cheesy advice like i literally wrote a script like for myself completely like i was even thinking of like i would direct it myself this movie shrapnel and it was just two guys it was all i set out to write basically like a cabin in the woods kind of movie not a horror movie but like a kind of like a straw dogs deliverance southern comfort two guys fighting to the death in the rocky mountains kind of a movie and um i thought i could make it myself i could find a couple of actors didn't even have to be name actors Anyway, so I just wrote that, thinking I would do it myself, and uh, then um, I, oh, by the way, I wrote it. The deadline I gave myself was for a thing which I think still exists, which is the Vague Awards at NYU, where they give out, I think, like $100,000 to, you know, a first feature. So I wrote it for that deadline. It's really great to have a deadline, otherwise I would never finish anything. So um, I wrote it for that deadline, didn't, didn't even make the finals of the Vague at NYU, so that was bummed out, but I decided to send it to some other screenwriting competitions. And I decided to narrow it down, because again, on Without a Box, they had, probably still do, tons of screenwriting competitions. 
just localized it to the ones in L.A. because I figured that the, the people that ran those competitions would have some leg in the door. So, uh, and it won a competition. It won, uh, uh, like, it used to be called the Script Pimp Competition. Really embarrassing. Um, But now it's called the Script Pipeline Competition. So, um, because, like, pimp at the time stood for pipeline into motion pictures. Uh, Of course, of Um, course. Naturally, obviously. Um, And uh, they just wisely changed it to Script Pipeline. So... I won that, and I won $3,000, which was like a massive, massive, massive amount at that time in my life. And, um, and yeah, I won it, and, uh, and then I started getting calls from managers. And a couple months later, I signed with a manager. First thing a manager wants to do is help you get an agent so they can do less work. And then uh, met a bunch of agents, went with an agent. And then a few months after that, after some slogging and some whatever... I got my first job, which was doing a rewrite of uh, He-Man, the He-Man movie at Warner Brothers. It's not at Warner Brothers anymore. It's at Sony. But I don't even know if any, how many people know or remember He-Man, but it was a big, big cartoon in the 80s and Mattel toy line. I love it. All right. So, um, so I was, and by the way, yeah, so I was, as, as you, if, if you know, like the, my IMDb or whatever, like a lot of my uh, work is kind of just like reliving my my childhood mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. anyway so where was i i don't know yeah so it was uh, it was a script shrapnel which was like super small and it has been made into a movie a, a very different movie uh which you can see at your peril uh it's on netflix it's on hulu not, not to disparage it but it's like very different from the script i wrote um it's called killing season with uh, john travolta and robert de niro and it's on Netflix. You watch it for right. free. All right, excellent. And yeah. so, so from that, uh, you were eventually able to sell Snow White. And yeah. Well, that's kind of the, the the interesting thing is that even after I thought I had it made, like I had a manager, I had an agent, I had gotten my first job. I was doing meetings at on every lot. I was like, you know, working with the director of He Man, and um, but I was still, yeah. I was living on a friend's air mattress, like in the living room, got paid scale for He-Man. Still a, a lot of money by any stretch of imagination, but once you get rid of 10% for the agent, 10% for the manager, 5% for the lawyer and the taxes, that becomes actually kind of hard to live for a year on. So, um, so it was still kind of like a slog. I still like, you know, uh, had to eat in my case, like tuna fish sandwiches and mm-hmm. things to make the, the, um, to stretch out, you know, my, my funds. Sort of hamburger helper. Hamburger thing. helper, right. exactly. Sure, sure. Um, but not even hamburger help because I can't, you know, right. you got you have to fire up the dream. burner. But, yeah. um, yeah. but, um, and I didn't have a burner. I had a, I had a hot plate. But, um, so, yeah. So, but the, the moral of the story is like, even when I had all that stuff, it still was a continual kind of slog, and it's like there's, there's a little step forward, there's several steps back, da da. So I actually it was like a year I didn't get any work after another little couple things I got paid for, another year or so of no work, and uh, it started to get a little restless and a little bit. So 
then uh, again, people may have heard the story before, but I saw that uh, uh, the heat, the uh, Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland, the Disney movie um, made, you know, a, literally a billion dollars at the box office. And it was like kind of a fairy tale reimagining. And I was like, I have one of those scripts like on my hard drive. Right. And, and for 10 years or so, people have been telling me like, it doesn't make sense to do like an action adventure version of a fairy tale. And now it's, you know, I think it, it became a trend for a few years. I think actually that trend is now sort of like dying out, mm-hmm. but needless to say for a long time, people thought it was ridiculous that you would have a story about like an action adventure version of a fairy tale. But I had it all teed up. I had it on my hard drive, and we just uh, sent it to a couple of producers, which mm-hmm. is kind of what you do. And uh, one of the producers was the very producer who produced Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do it, and they wanted to do it like fast, and they wanted to do it with called with what's called progress to production, where it it you know makes it highly likely that the movie's actually going to get made because there's penalties if it doesn't and all this stuff. And um, we attached a director. It was all happening over the course of maybe three or four months. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, in uh, September of maybe 2010, we took it out mm-hmm. to to the town, and it sold to Universal with that progress to production. So it was, like, fast. Then the next year it was filming. The next year it came out. Mm-hmm. So, and, anyway. and so with something that quick... Um, what what was your involvement in something like that? Were you churning out a number of successive drafts? I mean, did it, yes. did it change wildly from... Yes, yes, yes and yes. Um, I We did a, we did some work uh, with the producers. So when the producers came on board, they have thoughts. And so we addressed those thoughts, or I addressed those thoughts. Um, there's a lot of thoughts um, in Hollywood. Um, and... Uh, so we did that. Then we bring on the director, and the director has thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do some work for those. And they're all good thoughts. But uh, And then we sell it to the studio in which, like, lots of big new thoughts come in. And um, so I stayed, and I worked on it for another uh, probably six months after it sold. And I've been, I think I've been sort of fairly honest about it because I really I love the finished movie. It's awesome. It's amazing. People that have read the original script, it's out there on the internet, and you can read it. It's like very different tonally, and and yeah, as I was working on it, I could sense that the heart of the movie was very much shifting away from what what it was what I intended. That is not to say that the version that came out is wrong in any sense. It's it's a little bit more what let's say Rupert Sanders, the director, what 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 he saw. Um, what his vision was, and that's how it works. And in the movie business, that the director is the guy, and you're there to sort of help him achieve his vision. Um, so it uh, it shifted a lot, and I I participated in a lot of that shift, and then I was fired, and then several other people were hired to rewrite me. But that's the that's the uh, the life of a Hollywood screenwriter. Yeah, just just building on that a bit. I I, I don't know if you could speak. Uh, I know you've done some some rewrite work yourself, yes. and you know I don't know what your feelings are on that. Having yeah, I mean it's kind of it is that thing of, and it was really hard for me on Snow White because of the stuff we've talked about, which is like I wrote it, you know, in a dorm room when I was twenty, and it was the other thing is like my first movie I remember ever seeing was 
a reissue of the original Disney Snow White when I was like three or four in New York. And so it was like very close to my heart. So it was like really raw, really painful, the kind of process of seeing it change and seeing it go into other hands. And But as you start to work more and more in Hollywood, you – yeah, there's you're probably first thing that's going to happen to you is probably that you're going to be rewritten by someone, and then if you keep working, <clears throat> you will probably rewrite other people. So I have done a lot of rewriting of other scripts, and there's been a lot of people that have rewritten my scripts, and and you know it's like the circle of life, mm-hmm. and you kind of if you can achieve like a little bit of like zen about it, mm-hmm. and just understand that that that's kind of that's kind of how it goes, mm-hmm. and the trick is. Uh, <clears throat> the real trick is that in order for what you to write for in order for what you write to be good you have to like totally put your heart and soul into it but then you have to be able to like survive when it is wrenched from your hands and someone else does something else or you have to be able to survive when you give it to a producer and they're like I don't like that do a different version. Then you have to be able to put your heart and soul into that version. So it's this thing, it's like a weird balancing act for, you know, a a working Hollywood screenwriter to be able to commit yourself completely to any version and be able to not have a nervous breakdown when it's taken away. So you have to be entirely present, but also entirely distant. Present and detached at the same time. You're not. Um, Well, um, a lot of the work that you've done um, has been based on, you said yourself, like things that you like in your, your childhood. So He-Man, uh, Ninja Turtles. Um, I understand that you're working on um, uh, the Tomb Raider uh, film. And I, I was hoping you could speak just to, you know, the challenges of dealing with sort of everybody knows what the Ninja Turtles are. Uh, and maybe they have like fond ideas about cartoons or or uh action figures are there ever any parameters that you find yourself uh yeah like what are oh yeah all the time uh you know i you know when i first my first job ever and i was probably 27 or something and it was working on he-man for warner brothers and uh we would have these meetings where it was like a big giant round table and um it would be uh uh the director myself a couple of studio executives, a couple of producers, and like three Mattel executives, and like so, I don't know what that is—like ten people or eleven people—and it's hard to have a <clears throat> creative conversation. I got—I remember I so vividly remember that in my initial outlines for He-Man, I really wanted to put Shira in the movie because why wouldn't you? And um, I got like I got like kind of in trouble for putting She-Ra in because like. The Mattel executives like I, I feel like we like warned you that like Shira is like a different chain of title and like she can't be in the outline, and no one told me that because that's a whole other thing lack of communication in Hollywood. But like, um, so anyway, yes, uh, it's crazy. It's 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 difficult, um, <clears throat> and there are often big parameters. I think now. I don't know. Well, this kind of like branded IP, whatever, is like so the thing right now. And I've been kind of lucky enough, I guess, to have really worked in that sort of space. I think, you know, a lot of times it depends on what it is. Um, some rights holders are far more lax than others. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the the Ninja Turtles development process was kind of crazy. It was before me that there was like the whole Michael. I think Michael Bay said like that they're gonna have an they're gonna have they're gonna be aliens, and then people freaked out about that. And I don't know if they were ever really gonna be aliens, but actually, if you read the comics, which I used to do, there is vaguely there is vaguely an alien origin. It's just that depends on which source material. Not to geek out about Ninja Turtles, but like please, which please. which source material you're talking about, but people have I don't know if it's really a healthy thing, but people have like a I don't know, like they are really locked in on the media of like their childhood and like what it's, made them happy. It's really important. Yeah, for some it's a, it is very important. And I'm as big of a fanboy as like I used to. I, I got out, I remember I got out of school as a tradition to get out of school early to go see the three live action Ninja Turtles movies when I was like in middle school as I would ask my mom to pick I was like in probably fourth or fifth grade so I'm there with the fans but um, at a certain point you kind of have to do what's what's best for the story and I saw some of the drafts on some of the previous drafts on Ninja Turtles before I came on board and there were some very wildly different directions and kind of what I was trying to do was bring it back to what I felt a Ninja Turtles movie should be, which is like April O'Neil as a reporter for Ninja Turtles are, you know, she, she, she finds them and she becomes sort of a, the fifth member of the team and they fight Shredder. And that was my, uh, my goal for Ninja Turtles. Back to basics. Yes. Back to basics. Yeah. Yes. So I, I, just to build on that a little bit, especially when you come into a project and there's existing drafts and you have to pitch your take to whoever you know I, I don't know if there's any experiences that you could share on that or maybe some do's or don'ts that you've picked up in your career about just, just on pitching in general sure yeah okay how you'd like to let's get uh we can get really nitty-gritty about pitching um i i used to this is i cannot believe i ever did this I used to, because I read somewhere on the internet when I first started, like when I got my agent and manager and stuff, I feel like I'm neglecting people over on this side of the room, but I guess you can hear me. Um, when I first got my uh, agent, manager, whatever, I would like do these pitches and I would memorize them completely, because I read that on the internet that you were supposed to memorize them completely, and uh, which is ludicrous that you would like, it's like, because like, they're like 10 page documents, and if you're, a, unfortunately now, you have to create so many, you probably know, so many of these takes just because you're not going to get nearly all the ones you pitch. So you got to like pitch 10 things to get one job. So the idea of, so just don't memorize the pitch. I'm telling you that, that don't do that. Um, again, I was going to be real nitty gritty digression into pitching because I've pitched a lot now. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Um, I like to, everyone's like, how many pages is the pitch? I like, but, a page, page is not like a, a a fixed unit, so I do it by words, and I try to I every time I try to have a pitch be three thousand words. I'm trying. I'm not trying to make it super mathematical, or whatever. But three thousand words or less, and I never ever get it to be that low because you always have to put more things in. And the process of working with the producer, they're always confused about plot points and stuff. So you have to keep adding these like explanatory bits of like connective tissue. And it almost always ends up being 5,000 words. But that 3,000 to 5,000 word pitch is like a sweet spot for me. 
Uh, and that ends up being like a 15 to 20 minute pitch. Um, uh, d- again, different people have different uh, ways of doing it. Like, and I find that some people that are a little bit older school don't like to pitch in quite as detailed of a fashion. Like I was working on a project, never came to fruition, but with Alex Proyas, who's was like great director. And I, I like gave him my pitch and it was like that kind of 15 minute pitch. And he was like, what? Like, that's the most boring thing I've ever heard. And he's like, your pitch should be like five minutes and like, it shouldn't be that detailed. So I guess if you're Alex Proyas or if you're, you know, maybe in the late nineties or the early two thousands when the money was flowing and people were like, you could do that. But I, you really, every time I go in and pitch, I pitch like the whole thing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's different schools of thoughts on how detailed you go. I try to subscribe to the William Goldman spine of the movie, right? Which is like most movies have that very strong central through line in the pitch. Like, let's keep it to the protagonist and his journey. Some of the big uh, turning points. So, like, for me, it's all about the break to Act 2, the midpoint, and the break to Act 3. That's really what I care about in a pitch and understanding where a character starts and where they end. And for usually the kind of movies I'm pitching, like a real firm grip on what the tent poles, the action set pieces are not the tent poles, like a movie tent pole, but like the action sequences are going to be and some point of view on like what makes them unique and what makes them like you, nothing you've seen before in a movie. So that's my, that's my sort of, pitch thing and um yeah just don't memorize it because if you memorize it like what would invariably it would usually work out all right but then halfway through one of my pitches i would just totally derail and there's no way to get back on track and it's probably the worst the worst thing that you could possibly imagine is yeah losing your place in a thing you've memorized and it sounds horrifying it's terrible um so so you mentioned <clears throat> having um a good emphasis on your tent poles I'm gonna take a sip of water. Real yeah, quick. I'm so clear. Sorry. Clear the throat. I have that too. I was I was saying I was gonna make a disclaimer. I didn't do it, but like I. All I have to do is listen. Yeah, yeah. I'll just no, no. It's fine, please. But um, yeah, I was I, I like traveled a lot last week, so I'm kind of like at the tail end of a respiratory yeah, thing. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> but I'm not contagious. Well, that's just a little horse. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, what were you saying? Well, you know, like we have a great opportunity to to, to speak to somebody who is, uh, you know, writes a lot of action films. And I was hoping you could just sort of talk about um, your process when it comes to uh, thinking of these set pieces, how you put it on the page, you know, if there's any philosophy you have towards, like, making something readable or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the very first thing I wrote at NYU before Snow White was kind of just this out there like fantasy movie that was that would never be made. But uh, I was like, which kind of shows you where my head is at. I was like just geeking out on literally the specifics of fighting moves that were going on, like in fights and like this. There's a punch and a kick and like a roundhouse kick. Um, so that's not what you should do. Um, you know, the usual, uh, you know, um, bullet points apply, which is I, I try to do a lot of white space, right? Very punchy action lines. I try not to, especially an action sequence, have like 
three or four sentences strung together in a paragraph where you in detail describe a person running from here to there. To there. Just trying to punctuate it and make it feel, I don't know if onomatopoetic is the right word, but make the words on the page feel like what the movie's going to feel like. So a lot of white space, a lot of sentence fragments. Again, not being prescriptive, but like, you know, that's that's me. A lot of uh, white space, a lot of fragments. Um, I do a lot of... Um, Maybe this is automatopoeia. Automatopoeia, like where you where you uh, uh, describe a sound. You know, I do that to kind of mix pow. up, put you pow exactly. Um, uh, so I do that a lot to kind of separate it and give like a little bit of a sense of the sensorial experience of what the action scene is going to be like. And uh, and look, yeah, like the most important thing is tracking your main character or whatever character is in the scene through that action sequence, and hopefully. Like the action sequence, maybe not every single beat point of it, but in total, that action sequence furthers the character's arc. And that's one of the things that I, frankly, struggle with. Um, and it's something I'm, you know, I think a lot about, which is it's kind of related to your question, but it's like there's a sense for me, I think a lot of screenwriters, to, to impose the structure on the movie and impose the action sequences onto the movie. And sometimes that works. And sometimes you have to do that because they're like pre-vising a scene. Like there were things like that in Ninja Turtles where like they had been months into pre-vising and prepping a scene, an action scene. So you got to have like the truck chase. You got to put it in there. And, but you know, you can have fun. You can, there may, the pre-vis may be going on. They may even be shooting plates for it. But the specifics of what Turtle says what when and what April says, because they're not filming that yet, that can be shaped a little bit. Anyway, um, there's this, there's this, you know, what it really should be is for that structure and those action set pieces to be born out of the characters' wants and needs and desires and the goal they're trying to achieve uh, and the obstacles that they encounter on the way to doing that. That's another really important part because sometimes, and again, I, I'm guilty of it too sometimes, but sometimes you will read a script where it's kind of like function over form. I don't know. That's not the right example, but like where it is, um, where it, a, a set piece is in there because it's cool and it just doesn't do anything to forward that main character's arc. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, the idea that a set piece would you know be born out of something that's you know naturally occurring in the story. Um, so, you know, maybe to blow that up just a little bit, do you can you just sort of talk about your process to like writing a script as a whole? Do you do you sure. beat out an outline? Do you work with note cards? Or yeah. Anything? Well, I mean, again. I, Again, life of a Hollywood screenwriter. I mm-hmm. I have not had many opportunities to write an original script over the last few years, which is its a whole separate thing. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, no matter what, especially if you're in this the the Hollywood system of producers, you're gonna write outlines. You're you're, and unfortunately, again, we we'll do another sidetrack too. I came into the business and you have as well and and anyone here probably who's on the cusp or already in it has has come into it sort of post the strike and i wasn't around before the strike so i don't know but i understand from some of my older peers that things were in a lot a lot of things were very different before the strike uh i believe it's a lot sort of harder to there's 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 less jobs there's 
there's almost exclusively single step deals. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to sort of prove yourself in one draft, whereas in the old days you had a few drafts built into your contract to kind of feel out the... Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, one of the uh, side effects of that is I have a feeling that before the strike, there was a lot more... A lot more jobs were earned purely on like a verbal pitch, right? And you you just gave your pitch. You went in there. If they liked it, they hired you. At least in my experience, that is not really how it happens anymore. You got to do maybe multiple pitches to mul- multiple people. You got you have to sort of. I don't know if I should be saying this in the writers' guild, but you you sort of essentially you you have to sort of write up an outline. You have to give them an outline. Um, so. Outlines are part of the process, no matter what. That said, I mean, I, I would find it hard to write a script without doing some serious outlining first. And to just get really, again, nitty-gritty, what I usually do is, when I come with an, a new idea, or like a rewrite or a writing assignment, I usually start with one page and do like a one-page summation of what I think the movie is, like the theme, the character, and really simple, like, three acts. And then I send that around to people and get their kind of take on it. I find that, especially with like an original spec I'm going to write, I find that like so helpful. You can send it to your friends. You can send it to your agents. They can read it. No one likes to read long things. So you can read one page. They can give you their feedback. I then usually go from that to what I guess would be just called an outline now. I don't, at least in my experience, there I think used to be, maybe they still do this. I have never been asked to do like what is called like a treatment like, but you can call it treatment and outline. I think there there used to be this thing where you'd write like a fifty page thing, like almost like a, a novella version of your script with really really detailed. I'm I'm not familiar with that happening really anymore. So what I always go to is usually that like eight to ten page outline. And if you pitch, like I told you, the three thousand to five thousand word pitch is what usually gets modified and and chiseled into an outline. You can get more and more detail, but I, my outline is never more than 10 or 12 pages. And again, you're trying to, you're trying to uh, follow the arc of that character. You're trying to, you know, um, understand the, the three acts and the big turning points. Um, and so you spend a lot of time on that outline, a lot of revisions on that outline. And then, uh, I do what I think probably most people do, but I don't know. Um, I when I'm ready when you get like the critical mass like you find that when you do those outlines it's like you if you're doing it right and if the project is you know if it's really clicking you just like bursting at the seams to start writing right so uh you do that and I try to do it as quick as possible and I usually try to do it in a week do the one week first draft uh which is different for different people and I know like back you know when I had like a, a day job it's really hard to do but now I really try to burn through a one-week first draft just to get it all out on to the, the page. And the other thing I do, again, like nitty-gritty, I, I now, last few scripts I've written, I have written like longhand first. So I try to like, you know, it's like iterative, right? So it's like you write uh, uh, maybe like 10 pages longhand, and then either you transcribe it or like my my like best friend slash assistant, uh, I, I can scan them and give those to him, and or he can transcribe it. But I like to transcribe it myself sometimes because when you transcribe it, it's like another little mini rewrite. And then um, what I usually do is uh, again 
geeking out. Like I usually have different uh, documents for each scene or maybe each sequence. So I focus on like each sequence as its own little short film and get that to a good place and then move on to the next one. And then it's really fun when you get to when they're all done and you get to put them all together again. And then you work on the transitions between them and you again, you you do more tweaks and revisions at that point. So ideally, by the time you write the first draft, you've done like three or four little mini drafts in between. But that's just me. Well, that, that's great. That's great. Um, you, you mentioned um, the idea of an original spec, uh, you know, when citing your your process here. You work on a lot of, you know, large films, and I'm sure you're busy with a lot of, you know, rewrites here and there. Do you find time to slot for original work as well, or, or is there It's pretty hard. Um, I was just listening. I did. I wrote an original script last year, which I tried to do something with. But um, it's hard. I was listening. I'm sure a lot of people here listen to uh, script notes, right? You guys listen to the John. I listened. I was just listening to it in the car because a new one came. A new one happened today, and um, I find myself agreeing with them and disagreeing with them. But one of the things I was kind of surprised by because they had a discussion a couple weeks ago about only like how they only work on one thing at a time, and. Yes, you do not want to have two big paying Hollywood jobs at a time. You definitely do not want to write two first drafts at a time. But I do find that, especially for a working Hollywood screenwriter, crazy chaos, whatever, like it is really helpful for me to have like the fun original script that you're like noodling on mm-hmm. on the side to keep you sane. So that's my my pushback to, and I think they were talking in the podcast about like doing sort of two full on first drafts at the same time. But I like having like the pie in the sky thing mm-hmm. because you can always, if you love it and you know what you need to do next, you can always go there and and work on it if you're blocked on it and it like kind of opens up your mind. So yeah, I I uh, try to do a little bit on the side. I almost always have a little something I'm working, whether it's like you know. Some so like a TV, like an original TV pilot, or or like even like nerdy stuff. Like I go on, um, I just like compulsively download Kindle ebooks, all right, and like read because I'm like, yeah, would this make it? So like even if it's like finding great books that maybe you're like in the back of my mind, maybe someday I could like take this to a producer and we can make it. anything like that that you can sort of be the complete master of, as opposed to you know any movie you're working on. That's, you know, in the Hollywood system, there's going to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's going to be a lot of frustrations associated with it. So having that fun stuff that's a little more, quote unquote, pure, I really, I really like. All right. So you're, you're some ways into your career. Um, but I guess the idea is this is all cumulative and it's something you'll do as long as you can or as long as you want to. Is there, you know, any desire on your part to... Uh, either produce as well, or I know you directed back in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I went to, probably like a lot of people here, I went to just the undergraduate film program, and the the route into screenwriting was purely, I don't want to say purely, because I love screenwriting, I love telling the stories, but specifically screenwriting was really almost economic, because it's like, it's really, all you need is like a screenwriting program, and with, they're now free, basically. Um that's all you need to do it. So that's like what I did while I was at NYU in my spare time. That's what I did when I was in the years outside of NYU. 
Um, so yes, uh, I would like to, I'm in the thick of one of the things that's going on in my world right now is I, I have for the last couple of years been like doing rewrites on a, uh, a horror movie, kind of like an elevated horror movie for Dimension, Bob Weinstein, and, um, the idea being to, to direct myself. So hopefully that'll happen. Um, it's been an, uh, a, a process. But uh, I literally just turned in a draft of that on Friday, so everything is late breaking. But I would love to do that. When you when you've done it, I haven't done it for that long. I've I think I've been a working screenwriter for like eight years, seven eight years, and um, you can see why screenwriters want to start becoming writer producers or writer directors because it's uh, it's a it's a it's a grind. It's a grind, and I've been I've had a lot of luck and a lot of. Um, great experiences and movies made, which is the most important thing. There's guys who are more uh, experienced than me and who have done it for long than I have that have had less movies actually made and gone to the... So I've been very lucky for that reason. But uh, you do want to start to have a little bit more of a say in the finished product. And that happens through producing. It happens through TV. There's a mass exodus from movies to TV right now. Um, of which I have participated in with varying degrees of success. But, um, but yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of those lessons are hard-learned on your end. Is there anything you wish somebody had, had told you like eight years ago that, that or maybe something somebody did tell you that didn't mean too much to you then and then you had a moment where you're like, oh, I know what that, that person was warning me about or anything. Yes. Yes, let me think. And the answer could be no. Yeah. Um, there is the very che- the, the advice I never ever listened to uh, was go out and have real world experiences, right? Like to put into. I mean, I had like I lived in the real world. I had real world experiences, but I didn't. I didn't like act like I didn't take like a year abroad because I was like had eye on the prize of like trying to like doing the track and like making the movie at the end of at the senior year. And like so but when you really get to and by the way, so I, all I'm saying is like I've had to kind of catch up on that, I feel, over the last few years, because when I first started doing it, I felt it was trying to be like self-examining and <clears throat> I felt like there that was something that could have been worked on in stuff I was doing. It was a little bit more style over substance. And because I was always good at, you know, in school, understanding what you had to do to pass the test without that much work. So, but at, at a certain point, that becomes not a good thing. Because, like, when you get into the real, real big leagues, like, you have to really deliver the goods. Like, you can't take shortcuts. You can't. So I would say that would be a big one, just that cheesy advice of like, like you know, soak it all in, um, and because that is the stuff that like the craft stuff is really important, and I feel like uh, it, it it takes a while to master, but it's relatively masterable with a lot of hard work. But then when you get past that, you really really have to have like uh, an emotional vocabulary to you know mm-hmm. to to like to to write about basically 
Well, that seems pretty good. I think we reached the end of like I think, the, I think that pre, uh, that could be about it, right? So so yeah. maybe we can turn it over to Got some questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Thank you. Um, it's got to do with writer directors and just writers. Um, majority here is like just specifically writers. I consider myself a writer director, and it's a whole different lingo. Um, you kind of like forcing, you seeing it as it's happening as versus trying it out. How, and it seems like you are one of those too because you want to direct. How much of a difficult this thing becomes when you're trying to pitch to people who just want you as a writer? Uh, you mean how how difficult is it to sort writing of writing process? Your writing yeah. process is also directing process. Yeah, I would say that I I have I have started whether or not anyone wants to be a writer or not. I do think it's probably helpful to view yourself as the writer and director, no matter what, in the writing process. I think I used to think of myself as purely the writer, um, but I think the script is going to be improved by the director's all-encompassing eye that you're going to put into the material. That being said, I don't try I try not to go crazy with shots and like, you know, you want it to read on the page, you want it to be about the characters, about the, but all the time you're doing, or at least I'm doing, hints at what, the way I believe it would be filmed. That's not to say it's like dolly dot, whatever, but like there's a lot of reveals, there's a lot of shaping, like the audience's eye and the audience's attention through what's on the page. And that's what a, you know, that's what the writer's trying to do and that's what the director's trying to do. So I I try to think of it from a writer director's eye, even if you're not directing any given project, if that makes sense. Hi. Could you talk a little bit about your uh, writing process in terms of time? Like how much time you spent when it's an assignment, when it's a spec, as in like just you get up at eight, you go to one, you have a lunch, just kind of a little bit about that? Yes, that's always it's always evolving. Um, I uh, you usually get like uh, six to eight weeks to write a draft. I shouldn't say this, but uh, m- many writers may not write for the first few weeks of that and cram it into the last few weeks. Not that I would do that, but um, so uh, you, uh, I just in this new year. I made the New Year's resolution to get an office because I, I have an office on this, like the top floor of my house. So it was like kind of like a little mini commute. But I was like, you know what? I need to I haven't. Right. So I need to have like an actual commute. I need to I need to be very, very focused because I was I was finding that I was kind of I was getting a little like I was slacking off like with the Internet and with like, you know, packages arriving at the door and like watching a show at lunch or whatever. So now I have tr- I'm trying in the new year to have a more structured kind of thing. Um, I at the same time, it's very hard for me to write more than like like three real solid hours in the day. It usually happens either in the morning or in the afternoon, depending on if I have a meeting in the morning or the afternoon. One of the other things about just working Hollywood screenwriter is you it like sucks up a lot of your time just the general kind of like bs of general meetings and going in and talk and you have to drive halfway across town to do it so you 
you have a surprisingly small amount of time to write. I usually do it in like two or three hour bursts. Then it's hard for me to do more than that. Again, though, deadlines, it's just like all about deadlines ultimately, whether they are actual studio deadlines or self-imposed deadlines. And, And I really find myself writing to those deadlines a lot. Um, hey, I'm Donna. Hello. How you doing? My question, um, you mentioned, you talked a little bit about original work. And my question is about your original Snow White script. And, um, my, is it something that you would ever revisit again? Are you pretty much done with that? Like, uh, I do not have the legal authority to, to go back to it, unfortunately. No, I get that part. Okay. So let me, let me ask it a different way yes could you take some of the nuances some of the story some of what you were trying to do originally i mean um, and do something with it maybe if it's not quote-unquote snow white yeah i mean look like technically it's funny like those lawyers swoop in and they like they take everything that you like they own it free and clear they they probably own technically all the set pieces all whatever that said you can't i don't i mean i don't know i'm not a lawyer but you cannot copyright an idea you can copyright an execution of an idea so i don't think i would go back and do like a snow white thing but yeah you could take like weird just quick digression that script was originally inspired by like i've said it before the professional is what it was like meant to be like where the huntsman was like leon and like snow white was like natalie portman so to answer your question like yeah you could do i could do like another spin on the professional one one of my favorite movies i could do like a spin on that with the same kind of tone and some kind of interesting funky period from history or whatever. Maybe. I mean, you're kind of, you know, you, you write things in certain genres for a reason because you, like, connect with them. So, yeah, I think things in that zone may be revisited, but I don't want to get universal on me. I want to get in trouble. Hi. Um, for your next original piece, do you find yourself going back to your initial impulse to just write it for you or at this point after all you've been through do you find yourself tempering a bit and going oh you know Ooh. i run into this problem and good question well run into this problem specific well yes one of the things and by the way this is all like these are high class problems but um you do find that you become a victim of your own success a little bit it is there's like a lot of scrutiny placed on like original scripts that i write like from either producers around town or from you know reps, agents, managers, in terms of, well, does this stray too much from the brand that we've built for you for whatever? And I have to push back and say, yeah, but like you know, we got to kind of bring the edge back. So um, it's that's I, I feel like who was it um, in some podcast? I think Stephen Z- Steve Zalian talked about the inspired brain versus the editorial brain. And I find myself thinking about that a lot. The inspired brain is the part of your mind that puts, that's pure creativity, that puts what's in your head down on the page and doesn't correct yourself or edit yourself. The editorial brain is is the brain that goes back and says, that was wrong, this has been done before, they'll think you're weird because you put that in. So it's a constant battle between the inspired mind and the editorial mind. But... Yeah, the goal is to stay 
in that inspired mind on these um, originals. But it becomes harder and harder the more success you have, weirdly, especially in a certain genre, uh, because you, you sort of have to think about that stuff to some degree, but it's also sort of good not to. Anyway, yeah, you think about it. Hi. Um, I kind of have like a two-part question. So the first part is you mentioned television as like it's very, you know, interesting right now. Television is becoming more prevalent. And do you have any scripts or anything that you're working on specifically that you would maybe even want to be like a showrunner or something like that? Yeah, I, that's, you know, I think that I feel like that's kind of the new dream. Like when I was even just the short while ago that I was at, at school, the dream was to like be like a writer director and now i feel like the dream is to be like a showrunner um yeah yeah it would have to be the right thing because you're really going all in full body commitment to a thing and it's not even just like a movie it could be years and years and years uh i feel like the things i've been working on i, I feel like what it would be is uh you know i've come in and written pilots I don't think the situation would ever be, unless I really lobbied, I don't think the situation would ever be like me show running. I feel like if the thing was perfect and right, I would lobby for it and want to do that and commit that huge chunk of my life to it. But, um, you know, what what is more likely is to maybe sort of stay on board in sort of a producerial capacity and maybe learn from the showrunner who's far more experienced than I am and maybe do it second year or third year if so lucky as to have it have it continue on but um but yeah that would be a really great thing but like the nice thing about being a, a screenwriter is you get to do like a little fun world of something for like 6 months 9 months a year then you get to like parachute out of it completely and do something else so it would be interesting to see if I had like the patience to uh, live in that world with those same characters for like years and years. A lot of hands. Hi, I'm Kanisha. Um, in the interest of going back to basics, like you were saying for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Um, what about your original training, the basics of what you learned about writing, do you feel is most valuable to you now? Mm, the basics. Good question. I'm trying to put myself back. Did you go to NYU? No. No, we're at Stevens right now. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Um, I'm trying to put myself back into the uh, mindset of, like, Mo Grodnick storytelling strategies because I learned so much. And I tell everyone there was this massive learning curve in my first year where I knew nothing going in and knew a huge amount coming out of that class. Of course, now I can't articulate anything that I did learn. Uh, but a lot of it was, uh, I, I would say like visual storytelling because like, I feel like a lot of people, like I used to write quote unquote, write movies when I was in high school and stuff. And at that point, at least for me, a movie was like people talking or like having like a f fun dialogue or whatever. And I think just to be super basic, the shift away from that into visual dramatic storytelling that's about much more than just dialogue was probably a big game changer for me.
to be very succinct about it. This guy is getting the, sh- the shaft over here. Hi. Yes. If you've um, if you've had this experience yourself, I'd love to hear about it. But what is your opinion of bake-offs and writers' rooms for tent poles in terms of like how the industry feels? Is there a a pushback to those, or is it more of an evolve or die sort of situation? Uh, good question. Um, you guys probably know what they are because you listen to podcasts and stuff. But yeah, like you, uh, yeah. Again, I think that's like post a lot of post strike stuff. Bake off. I mean, it's horrible. Like what what I spend most of my time trying to do, frankly, is like find the little crack where there's not a bake off going or fi- like because I spend a lot of time talking to producers, understanding what they're the next thing they're going to be doing is and trying to get in before the bake-off. Because if you get... And by the way, sometimes you do, but if you get sucked into those, like, bake-offs, it's it's horrible. Like, it's essentially no chance. I mean, there's a one in whatever, 10 or 15 chance you're going to get the job. So I try to be very smart about the projects that I pick and either come in early or come in with a little angle or um, to avoid that. Uh, In terms of writer's rooms, I personally... I don't really get it. I don't think I would want to participate in one. I had the experience where I didn't have it. I mean, I wrote, I spent like three years doing nothing but writing for Paramount. Some movies that got made, some movies that didn't. Ninja Turtles got made, or a movie that got made. Ninja Turtles got made. I wrote a sci-fi movie before that, and then I wrote mini drafts of G.I. Joe 3 after that, which G.I. Joe 3 now has a writer's room with like really big, a-list guys and 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 not quite as a-list but like i uh i'm i guess i'm personally not like a super huge fan of it i can see from the studio's perspective that it would be maybe a good idea or uh, financially a good idea in the sense you get a lot of really smart guys in there and um generate some good ideas although i feel like the transform i'm not i'm not really privy to it but I feel like the Transformers writers' room didn't necessarily, when I read like the fallout from it, didn't necessarily net a huge number of amazing ideas. I think they came up with like doing a, an animated one and like doing a Bumblebee spinoff. Which like, do you need the like ten guys in the room to tell you like that that's that, like just just decide to do that? Like, don't. Um, so I think it's all kind of post. It's like post-strike stuff. You know, there's less movies being made. They're movies of a certain scale. They're pre-branded. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and it's frustrating, but, yeah, you got to just, you got to, like, navigate those those shoals um, uh, and, and try to not get sort of sucked up in the churn, especially of, like, the, those bake-offs because, yeah, that's, that's no good. Oh, yeah. Let's get this guy. Thank you. Um, can you talk a little bit about your? Uh, you mentioned the the process between the inspired brain and the editorial brain that you can you'll you'll get that first draft out in a week. How long and how many drafts does it take you before you you take this and you say, hey, you know what, I'm ready to go out with this. I'm ready to to show this to someone. And how do you how how do you do that that handoff from inspired yes. to editorial and then say, all right, good, good question. Um, yeah, you do that first draft. It's usually super rough, and su- despite all the little mini drafts in between, it's usually pretty rough. Um, usually, first step is sending it to even sending that pretty rough version to a couple of super trusted friends, get their read on it. Usually, I will do one more 
pretty decent size pass on it uh, before I give it to the next big step, which is my reps, um, my agent and manager. And, um, and, uh, but I try to give them to, to use our nomenclature, like the, a pretty inspired mind version, like, like using an example, the script I wrote this past year, I gave them the pretty, like, I don't know if it's left brain or right brain, but the inspired mind version to them. And usually the parts that are the wackiest and the craziest, they don't get. And the parts that are the most traditional, they do. So you got to like have that negotiation. Although you don't have to negotiate with your reps, but you know, you want to take their advice because they have an understanding sometimes of what's marketable, what's not marketable, whatever. And uh, so we, uh, you know, usually do a pass with their notes and then um, it's usually about like sending it to producers to see if they're, they're into it. So it's kind of like there's maybe two or three pretty decent sized rewrites, but all of it in at this phase is going to be pretty close to what you want to do. Like it's all, you're in the driver's seat when the thing sells, like it's like all bets are off, like in terms of like the notes that come pouring in. Um, and it starts to change a lot, a lot of drafts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just wanted to know if there was a difference when you pitching on, because you said you do pitching really well now, uh, your own original material versus like a rewrite. And if there is, what is the difference? Good question. Sometimes a rewrite is so targeted that it's not really even like presenting the whole movie, right? Like it's like, yeah, everyone knows that like the first two acts of this are like in, in good shape. So it's like, Yes, this happens. This guy goes here and does this. But I really think that, like, it should happen. Like, they shouldn't go to Mars in the third act. Like, it should just be all on Earth. Like, you know, and then going into details of that. So that would be the only instance where I feel like it's it's different. It's when it's like a super targeted rewrite. Um, and usually, you know, ahead of time, I don't know. I say usually. I, it's not really true. I, usually, you should know what they want to change but so many times you get sent a script and they're like we we like some of it but they can't quite articulate what they like and like you have to do you know you just have to read it and say what you think needs work and sometimes it's totally different like i remember one time i was like this is early on I, I i read a draft of dune they were trying to make a movie, a movie version of dune at paramount with the guy that directed taken pierre morel and um I read it and like, and I talked to the producer. I pitched my my take on it, and like it, everything seemed like it was going so well. I was, I was saying all the right things, and then I was like, um, and like this love story like it has to go. Love story has to go, and like I heard like you know a sigh on the other line, and and essentially found it like that was like the thing that they thought was like the the best thing in the movie, and so I just kind of shot myself in the foot. I think with that final final comment but that was on a phone so you can't really like read the room reading the room is pretty important and be able to kind of like when you start saying take out the love story and you see their eyes start to glaze over and you're like just kidding we're not really take it up anyway Hi, I just wanted, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. I just wanted to touch upon, um, you talked earlier about your character's arc and what 
that you don't want to put set pieces in that might derail um, the arc of that character because it's on a progression. Right. So I'm just curious, where do you draw um, to build on your character? Do you tend to draw on other experiences or other, or do you consult with like psychological books or Good sources? question. Uh, all of the above. Um, oftentimes research will be helpful for that if it's a situation where you can't. Like shrapnel, I learned so much. I basically, I went to an actual library um, for shrapnel and read these books that were very on-the-ground depictions of what life was like, both during World War II and for veterans of World War II, both for Germans and for U.S. soldiers. And um, that stuff was, like, invaluable for um, shaping the psyches of the characters. Um, and sometimes, uh, again, the more experiences you have in life and the more ups and downs and you find I find it happening to me like the more that stuff becomes you know, internal stuff starts to uh, find its way onto the page and very often it's like you you shape a, you may not know you're doing it but like halfway through a script you're like oh right this is me in this situation from like three years ago I see why I was drawn to this arc right so that's a big part of it one of the things again talking about sort of not regrets but like I so wish I had taken like more psychology, sociology courses, you know, in school, as opposed to sort of just being driven about taking like the track, you know, being on like the film school track or whatever. So psychology, I think is like a huge part of it. But I, I think the better it is, the more it's coming from you and your experiences, even if it's like a crazy space opera that has nothing on the surface to do with you. It's the best stuff is when it's like aligning with, something inside of you, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I was just wondering if you could talk about, um, you know, being precious with your words uh, as opposed to uh, forward momentum when you allow yourself to be precious uh, in that first draft and rewrites and when, you, you know, you put stuff on the side to keep going um and that if your rewrites are any different from you for you you know for those specs well about being precious um yeah in those first drafts i i uh i'm pretty precious i guess you know like it's your you're trying to put what's in your head down onto the page like why why edit yourself or censor yourself at that stage but when other factors come into the equation, collaboration, studio, director, there's like it becomes a very complicated matrix of lots of cooks in the kitchen. And, and then it becomes really, I mean, that's kind of half of what I do, you know, as like a screenwriter is assessing those notes and making the decision to like pick the battle or not. And probably the less, I don't know, if, like the, the more you push back, probably the better the finished product is. But at a certain point, depending on who you're working with, if you push back, a certain, it's happened to me, if you push back enough, you'll just be fired. So it's like, and someone else will be hired, and maybe it was never meant to be that you were the guy to take it across the finish line. Uh, so it's, 
it's very easy to say like just stick to your guns and like get your vision out there and you should you should try to do that but you know you will be at a certain point be fired if if the uh depending on who the studio is ideally the situation is more uh healthy and like less toxic and you can kind of have a great collaboration which is like ideas are making things better things aren't unspooling um what you tried to do this is a little bit digression from your your story but i'm gonna name drop um one of the jobs i had in the midst of like the early days right after he-man i'm not gonna say what it was but it was like a it was a thing for bad robot and for not to not for jj to direct but to produce and i never got a better set of notes than from jj abrams on like an outline i had done because i sensed because he's a right he started as a writer and he had a lot of issues with a lot of things I put in my in the thing, but he uh, every single time he understood the intention of what I had put in there in the first place. He would try to articulate why he felt like a different way would be better, or but coming at it from that writerly, which is why it's really great. Like I also was sort of semi mentored by Melissa Rosenberg, who wrote all the Twilight movies and like Dexter, and then did like Jessica Jones, which is like amazing. Um, and that's another situation where like, that's really the kinds of like producers that like, that, that bring the best out of you because they understand the intention, even though they're giving you notes, making it better. So, you know, uh, but to answer your question, it's a, it's a delicate negotiation. And the more people come into the process early on, I think you got to stick with what's in your mind and your idiosyncrasies and your flights of fancy. And then when the real world comes in, do what you can to protect what you've done while also realizing you have to like service a lot of masters. Uh, I do not find myself. He's got a double question. Uh, this, I know, I know this guy. Um, um, he, uh, yeah, I, uh, I do not find myself writing those like one sixty. 180, 200, I think you might. But I do not find myself doing that. I feel like I, I just like super rigorous in the outlining process, like trying to not put in, I feel like I understand the the amount of scenes that need to be in a movie. And so it's like when it when I write, it usually will be like maybe 120, 130 pages. And I try to get it down really as low as possible. Like it's weird, when I first came out here, like everyone said, it's gotta be 110 pages. And now, even though a lot of movies have huge page counts, now, like, the standard, everyone's like, well, it's got to be 105 or, like, 10. So it's like, that stuff doesn't matter. And, again, script notes, they talk all about page count and how it doesn't matter. And it's, it's essentially true. But I do not find myself writing those enormous 200-page scripts. Hi. I actually have two questions. Do you like being on set? And then when you see a movie that you've rewritten, do you like to listen to the actors and think, hey, I wrote that or that part of it? Or? Uh, the first question is, do I like being on set? Sort of. Uh, it's, like, very, very stressful. Like, the biggest one for me was Ninja Turtles, where I was on, basically, the set for half of it. And um, it's just chaotic. And it's, you, yeah, if, if you're... It's really good. Just like when you go on studio lots for meetings and stuff, you really should every day just take a breath and realize how exciting and how lucky you are to do it. And I do that. But when I think back on the Ninja Turtle set, I'm like getting tense 
thinking about it. So, but it's great. It's fun. It's it's amazing to see. Like, and we, I visited the set not in a writing capacity, but I visited the set for like four days on Snow White, and it was amazing. You drive past uh, um, all these horse trailers. There's like a giant horse charging along the, and we I was there on the beach. I've seen the movie. There's a giant horse charge along a beach. I was there when they shot that. Um, and you go to Pinewood Studios, and you see, like, there's like 300 carpenters, 300 plasterers, and you're like, oh, like, there was like a weird alchemy of, like, where an idea translated into something being made and people being paid to do it and, like, an economy, whatever. So that's cool. And, but to your second question, yes, it's good and bad. Like, it's, I was just talking to someone about this at lunch, and... For the movies I've done, it's like it ends up being like some more than others, but like maybe 50-50. Any given moment in the movie, you may have done it or you may not have done it. So like it's cool when – if you're watching, it's great when you see something you did. Or maybe it's it's you cringe because you're like, I could have done it better. The thing that is awkward is when you talk to like friends who don't really know how it works. And they're like, like I loved the part in Ninja Turtles where – this is my friend talking – like where they beatbox in the elevator. I'm like, I didn't write that. <laughs> but um, but then I was at Disneyland ordering like a burger, and the guy was like, I had a Ninja Turtle shirt on. And um, I my sister was with me, and I would never say that I wrote the movie, but she like hyped me to this guy because he was saying how much he loved the movie. And uh, and he was like, it was like, it's like my favorite part was when like Donatello, like Donatello has this line where he's like, allow me to be the badass for once. He's like, a, he's like a nerdy guy. And he like, and I was like, I did write that. And I feel really good. That, that was your favorite part of the movie. But yeah, so it's up, it's up and down. It's up and down. It's hard to watch those movies. Cause you're like, yes, this is cool that I wrote that. Or like I wrote it and it's still not working or, Oh, they changed this whole thing. I don't like that. So it's hard to watch movies that you've written. At least for me so far. How did your childhood and where you grew up uh, influence you as a writer? <clears throat> Interesting question. Uh, I don't know. I, I grew up early, really early in New York. I was born there and lived there for a few years. Then I grew up in Texas. <laughs> um, burn. Um I grew up in Dallas, which is basically just like, you know, it's like a big city. But uh, but like Dallas is like as soon as you exit the this the city limits, it's super scary. But um but yeah, I don't know. I know the one thing I always remember is that like when I was when I went to school growing up in Texas, I was super proud of saying that I was born in New York. And then like everyone brags about being born in New York. But uh and then when I went to NYU, I like bragged that I was from Texas. So I think there is maybe like a contrarian streak that comes from that. The other thing I will say is there was a lot. This is this is this is better answer. Uh, when in growing up and kind of like riffing on you, you said, "Sorry, yeah." Um, like it's kind of true. It's a, it was actually a really good place to grow up, but it's like really suburban, kind of boring. A lot of empty stretches of things. So you do have a much more. Like I find a lot of people I know grew up in like the Dallas Metroplex that I that work out here and all and like you do uh if you're of that mindset you have like a very active imagination 
to counteract against like the kind of like endless concrete uh, parking lots, basically. Hi, thanks for doing this. Um, thanks for being here. Uh, Thank you. My question is about um, your work on Divergent. Yes. How was that match made, and what was your experience like with that adaptation? Was there collaboration with the author? Good question. Divergent, weirdly, is probably the movie that has the most of what of my work in the finished product, for whatever reason. Um, it, it's it's weird because like we were talking about Snow White and like being like my inspiration was the professional, but weirdly in the development process, I think like a tonal because of tonal reasons and because of casting reasons, it became like it became weirdly like a YA thing. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but like it became like it was seen as that. Like so uh when I was working on Snow White, people started to send me all these things for like what the next job would be, just all the YA novels. Like Hunger Games is already in development, but like I got sent Divergent, I got sent I, I can't remember what they're called, but there's like a it was a Romeo, I think it was called Beloved, there's like a Romeo and Juliet Juliet thing, all these kinds of parent uh paranormal romance or whatever and i found that divergent was the one that spoke to me most because and this tells you something about this the stuff i've written but like because it was not all about the romance right like that was a big part of it and that was something we were constantly fighting to keep and put in there but what was interesting to me was this arc of the girl from, like, essentially, like, a basic training movie, right? Like, Triss going from, like, super uh, withdrawn kind of Amish equivalent, Mennonite equivalent to through a basic training kind of thing in, in Dauntless and ending up as this kind of powerful, like, empowered f- soldier. So that was the thing that's most interesting to me. I think it's, like, a testament to... I'm sure there's a lot of books like it. I don't consume a lot of YA, but like that was like a testament to like, I think Veronica Roth and her writing and and the idea because I really responded to that and that's what I that's why I came in and pitched when I came in because there was there's a lot of other elements in the book that we kind of either pared away or whatever. That's kind of what you do in an adaptation, but um, that's what I always fought for. It was like this is like Top Gun or like GI Jane or whatever, and. Um, yeah, it was a great process. Yeah, that was the first thing after uh, Snow White. Great producers, Doug Wick um, and uh, Summit, um, same guys that did uh, uh, Hunger Games. And it was weird because, like, in the middle of our working on it, they merged with Lionsgate, so that was a whole thing. But, um, but yeah, that was uh, it was a good a good process, and it took a long time. Like, I worked on that script for like probably like two years on and off. I was then fired. It was a, recurring motif for all all writers thankful or not thankfully but um but uh and one other writer was brought in after me um who did a lot of good stuff but yeah that that one more than the others has most of my um original so that's a reason why I do like sort of I'm you know proud of 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 that finished movie and it's obviously launched a a good good solid franchise as has Snow White by the way We'll see if this... I haven't seen this new movie. Hopefully it's cool and awesome. Um, you clearly have the gift of gab. You're able to talk 
on any subject as soon as anyone asks you. Uh-oh. Is that something that you've always naturally had, or is that something that you've <clears throat> developed as far as pitching and being good in the room? Thank you for saying that, because definitely not. I have not. Uh, no. That's, it's, I've, it's, I've had to exercise that muscle. Good question. Um, I think just kind of just doing it because, like, I had some pretty embarrassing, like, early pitches and some pretty embarrassing, like, and I still do, by the way. Every once in a while you're in the middle of pitching, you start having, like, the little, I don't really have panic attacks, but you start having, like, the little, some weird voice starts talking and, like, um, so, yeah, I think you kind of just have to do it because I was not, yeah, I'm not. I'm really not that guy. Um, never was in high school or in college or in any other capacity. But yeah, doing it a lot helps. That's all I could, yeah. And if there's a way to do that without having, like, I don't know, I guess you could stare, stand against the wall and just, like, just, just, just recite your pitches and see if that kind of helps. But it does help to be able to, like, think on your feet. That's another big one and to be a little bit flabby. I joked about it with, like, the Dune thing, but, like, I have been in a lot of pitches where you sense either, like, a big one is, like, sensing the boredom, like, eyes glazing over and then just, like, rushing through or or being so quick on your toes when they when they start to swoop in and say they didn't, they, they didn't, they bumped on a uh, element of your pitch and and being able to stick and move and think on your feet and figure out how you can parry that comment into well actually that's what we meant all along and uh, so it's hard it, it takes it does take a lot of uh practice though but if you're the kind of guy who who it comes difficult for it's it's a bummer but like it's it's uh you you can you can overcome that it's just it's just practice One more? Oh, okay. Got one more. After this one? Okay, one more after this one. I just wanted to ask about getting fired and oh, and how that affects awesome. your ongoing relationships with other producers or studios or and does word travel or what's that like? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, thankfully, it's just the way, like, you just get fired all the time. I say get fired. I, no one ever tells them. I've, no one has ever set up fired. They just stop calling you. But <laughs> but they do. But then, like, almost invariably, they will just call you again in, like, a year on a different thing. Because it's not like, you know, you did, you did, presumably you actually probably did a fairly good job, and you they liked what you did. And and it's either you're just not connect. It's, it's just you've, you're, you're tapped out, and you... You've done too many drafts, and you, you they, they have a sense that you're tapped out, which is, or that you're fatigued. I mean, if you're like, no, I can keep doing this forever. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, I don't think we're trapped, because I've been, I've been hired at many of the studios where previously I had not been, and you know, the regimes turn over all the time that, that I don't think that's a huge problem. I mean, word probably travels. There's all these secret, like, uh, you know, tracking boards where they, where like assistants report on like, like, like whether the thing that you slaved over for months is like good or not. 
<clears throat> but um, <clears throat> so I'm sure there's some secret hidden Hollywood where <clears throat> there's there's reports that are made on on you and what. But you know, but I you still keep getting jobs and you still keep going in for pitches. So it's just kind of the nature of Hollywood screenwriter to uh, to be fired. Um, but but yeah, but you will you will be rewritten. I should say be rewritten because then you'll you'll be the one doing the rewriting. And again, it's the circle of life. Last one. So I feel like in the kind of action adventure genre and sci-fi world, I've been studying different films recently, and I and there are some that I go, this should have been awesome. Like the concept is so cool, the actors are great, and for whatever reason, like hearts aren't being connected mm. in the first twenty minutes or whatever it is. How do you feel like? What is that thing in the beginning or, you know, that engages an audience or what's kind of the most important thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I know I, I wasn't really privy to it, but like I know that a huge part, like I loved that J.J. Abrams Star Trek and a huge part of their thinking, huge. Um, sorry, just like <laughs> felt the burn. Um, a, a big part of that was to have that like birth right in the midst of the sci-fi space battle and it hooks you in right away and um <clears throat> i think that's a big part of it because you read a lot i read a lot of scripts i've been guilty of it in the past i think not so much anymore but reading a style over substance cold open right like a flashy cold open or one where there's a cool concept to the action or whatever but to be able to have that slight digression here like one of the things i try to go into an original script with is a great concept. I've said this before. The concept, yes, yeah, they say, is king. But I, it's not a great concept to me, and I've been guilty of not following my own advice, <clears throat> is like character being inextricably linked to concept. I've said this before. Snow White and the Huntsman, the concept is clever, I guess. It's like you take a side character and make them a bigger character and you turn the fairy tale on its head. But as part of the concept is a character relationship between Snow White and the Huntsman. So... Um, to me, well, let's, let's just extract, you know, or, or uh, whatever the word is to what you're talking about, which is that you want that first, let's say the first sequence or the first act, whatever, to be a microcosm of that. So you want it to be exciting, you want it to be dramatic, you want it to get them on the hook, well-paced, etc., but you want that character, emotional thing to hook you right from the beginning. And that, that Star Trek movie is the, is the one that first comes to mind because that was clearly put in there. I mean, it's amazing, but it's like that's... it. You're hooked into the movie from the get-go. You didn't have to do that. Like, it, it could have been a pure space battle. A lot of movies start that way, but having that birth of um, Captain Kirk at the beginning is such a huge um, uh, thing that, yeah, you want to you wanna grab them right from the, right the get-go from... From you know, you know, tug on their heartstrings, as it were. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming out today. Thank yeah. you. It was fun.